Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, praise the Lord. My prayer is that you already sense the goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm just so thankful for so much that I am seeing and observing and hearing uh, amongst this community called Dwelling Place Woodstock. What a blessing to see the life of Jesus manifested in people and through people in such a time as this, in times of tribulation and things like that. also want to welcome those of you that are new to our ministry and what God is doing here. Uh, I say all that to say that what the Lord's put on my heart today and what I'm going to minister really builds off of and sort of um, brings to a climax really what I've sensed the Lord saying uh, to His people and to us in this time, and it builds off the last three messages I've ministered. And so I want to invite you, you can find those messages at dwellingplacemovement.org. But those messages were the order of March, the breath of March, and then my beautiful wife and I ministered together uh, on a message titled The Proper March. And so from those, I'm going to minister today a message titled The Prince of Peace. If you are following along, uh, you can later go to the Bible app, but all the notes and things for further study on this message is available there under the events tab in Dwelling Place Church. You'll see it. But I want to read three passages of Scripture up front. The first is found in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. The Apostle Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then 2 Thessalonians 3 and 16, the Apostle Paul writing to the church there says, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace. Always in every way, the Lord be with you all. And then Luke chapter 19 Verses 41 and 42, Dr. Luke records, says, Now as he, Jesus, drew near, he saw the city, Jerusalem, and wept over it. Verse 42, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I want to preach this message, Prince of Peace. Let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would manifest Christ and His kingdom to each person in every house that's watching. Have your way, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. You alone are my sufficiency, Jesus. You alone are my righteousness. Your blood is sufficient. Do great things and we'll give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, we're in this month a series titled Portraits of Christ. You say, why does it matter to have a clear vision, a clear seeing 
of the person of Christ. Christ being the anointed one. The one sent by God, the anointed one. Well, the reason it matters is notice the scripture we saw in 2 Peter 1-2. The apostle Peter says, Grace and peace will be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason portraits of Christ matter is with the wrong portrait, with the wrong idea, with the wrong image of who God is in Jesus Christ, the opposite can happen. Stress and anxiety and worry can be multiplied in our life. But with the right portrait of God in Jesus Christ, grace and peace can be multiplied to you. Is that not what we desire? Is that not what we need in times such as this? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. You know, I think because of what we're facing with the coronavirus, many people, unfortunately, have been out of work. Have been out of work. And it creates a lot of tension and issues and things that need to be addressed in our heart and our mind and our lives. But I want to challenge us up front and with this question. We may have been out of work, but are we people or have we been people or will we become a person or a people who do the work of knowing God and Jesus clearly? See, when we're out of work, being out of work may seek to take peace from you. But the work of knowing Jesus will get peace to you. That can change so many of your situation right now. Just that one reality there. That being out of work may seek to take peace from you, but the work of knowing Jesus will get peace to you. I want to talk, Roman numeral one, up front today about the nature of God, the disposition of God. Now, when we talk about and we speak about God's nature, we're speaking of that which all His activity stems from and out of. For instance, we know that God is a patient God, but you never find Scripture that says God's nature necessarily is patient, meaning this. It it speaks of God's nature as love. And patience is that which flows out of or stems out of His nature of love. In the book of Judges, the Lord speaks to a man named Gideon. He was in a trying time like you and I are as well. And the Lord speaks and says, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die in response to what God says to Gideon in this difficult time, he builds an altar to the Lord, and you know what he calls it? Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. In fact, it's what is often referred to as one of the seven redemptive names of God. In Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you, your favorite verse or well-known verse to so many, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says God, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, the Lord has a peaceful nature. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, he foretold Jesus' birth and coming hundreds of years before it actually took place. And he declares in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. 
And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Here it is, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government in peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Notice the name, this anointed one, this foretold one of Jesus is Prince of Peace. The name representing and describing and revealing a part of the very nature and aspect of God and the Messiah. But notice there's also a connection between His government and the experience of His peace. It says that the increase of His government, the increase of His governing and His peace, there will be no end. Meaning that Jesus, when He comes... His government and the kingdom that He's setting up and the peace attached to His governing will continue to increase. It will continue to expand more and more. And notice it said the zeal of the Lord will perform this. The Lord's zealous to perform this. To increase His government in your life, in my life, in our home, in the people's lives. And to increase our experience of His peace. When we talk about the nature of God, it leads us secondly to Jesus. To Jesus. In John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word there is the Greek word logos. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh, became human, and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Notice the only begotten Son, the Word of God became flesh, has declared Him God. Now what's important for us to understand is the word there, the Greek word declared, means to lead out, to be a leader, or go before, to unfold and to declare. What it's saying is that no one has seen God at any time up to this point of Jesus. So Jesus takes the lead and He goes first in unfolding and declaring God's nature. In fact, this Greek word declared was used in all Greek writings of the interpretation of things sacred and divine, like oracles, dreams, etc. And so the Scripture says that Jesus comes and He declares God. He reveals God. He begins to unfold God to us. Jesus interprets the sacred things of God, His nature, His word, His way, His will. And Jesus interprets... The Old Testament Scriptures. He goes first in the interpretation of it. Meaning this, Jesus exegetes God. What that means is Jesus expounds and reveals and explains and goes first as the primary interpreter of who God is and in the interpretation 
of the Old Testament or the sayings of God. Jesus, this foretold Prince of Peace, declares God and His nature to us. And how did He declare? How did He unfold? How did He interpret the divine nature of God and the divine sayings, the Old Testament scriptures of God? Listen, He did it in deed and in word. In fact, you'll find that repeatedly throughout the Gospels and in the New Testament scriptures, that connection of both and, in deed and in word. Now why is this important? Because when you think about the portraits of Christ, many errors, of course, have taken place over the years regarding who Jesus is, regarding what He taught, regarding what He was about. And currently, one that's taking place, again, is the lack of accepting or understanding that Jesus did not just declare God fully just by His deeds, just by His actions alone. But Jesus declared God fully through His actions and deeds plus His words and His teachings. And the reality of the fact of what I just said is connected due to the times and the seasons of the Father. In fact, Jesus, after His resurrection and the 40 days that He spends with His disciples before He ascends back, in Acts 1-7 it says He talks to the disciples about the times and the seasons of the Father. And see, without this understanding and without this biblical balance of actions and words, meaning the deeds of what Jesus did and the teachings of what Jesus taught and the interpretation of Scripture that Jesus gave us, we won't see a full, clear portrait of Christ who is the one who goes first and unfolds the nature of God and who God the Father is to us. Without that biblical balance, we'll come to wrong conclusions regarding judgment, regarding eternal judgment, regarding hell or sheol or whatever Greek word or the many words used to describe something that Jesus speaks of, of a horrible place. The afterlife and damnation and the wrath of God. Listen to me. Jesus clearly said it's the Father's good pleasure to give His creation, you and I, humans, the kingdom. To give us His peace. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, who said it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom and to give us His reign of peace, also taught and spoke of judgment. He also spoke that all of us, you, I, each of us individually will give an account for the life that we've lived before God. He speaks about the condemnation and the damnation of the unrighteous. Now please understand. Please understand that the Father's good pleasure speaks to His disposition. The Father's good pleasure speaks to His nature, to His desire. And His disposition towards all of us, 
All of us who have sinned, all of us that have chosen selfishness at times above others, above God's will, all of us that have sinned and fall short of the standard of God, that His disposition and His nature towards us is that it's His good pleasure to give us the kingdom, to forgive, to save us from trying to be our own God and from slavery of sin and the kingdom of darkness and rebellion. However, Jesus was clear and speaks about what happens when or if we reject God the Father's good pleasure to give us His kingdom. If we reject letting God make peace with us through the person of Jesus, through the provisions of Jesus, through the death and life of Jesus, and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And Jesus declared and unfolded in word through His teachings this aspect of God. Now why did Jesus in the time of the days of His flesh, that's how Scripture speaks of it, the time and the season He was on earth, why did Jesus not indeed and in action demonstrate this aspect of God? Judgment. Damnation. Because listen to me. The times and seasons of the Father. Now look at this. In John 3 and 17, we see how Jesus demonstrated the reality of such things through His teaching. In John 3, 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's the, dispens- dis- that's the nature. The dispen- God's heart, disposition, is to save us, to rescue us. But verse 18, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Notice he says that the world and you and I in the world were condemned already. We had turned away from our Creator. We had followed In the path of Lucifer, who is Scripture refers to as Satan, meaning the enemy of God and the enemy of us. And we followed in his rebellion and his lawlessness, being a law unto ourselves and doing whatever desires comes into our heart and mind. We were condemned already and we're condemned already because we did not believe. But notice, today people do not believe because people love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. Their deeds are evil. And Jesus says they practice evil and therefore they hate the light, they hate the truth, and they refuse to come to the light, least a true exposure of their nature, of their position before God, of their state be exposed. Least they get a true evaluation of their life by God. Not an evaluation as they compare themselves to other people, And you know what is amazing? When I compare myself to others, I always find people that I think are less than me. Never people that I see to be more admirable than me. Jesus taught the reality 
of such things. In fact, Jesus tells a parable, a parable of the minas. Minas was a form of money in his time. And he tells this parable, he says, A man receives a kingdom, but all the citizens of this man who receives the kingdom, they hated him. They hated him and they said, Listen, we will not have this man reign over us. And Jesus says, So it was when this king, this man who got a kingdom returned, that he commanded the people to be called to him. And he said, But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. This is Jesus declaring the reality and truth of God and the way He has set up this world through His teachings. He's unfolding. He's going first and before us and helping us understand the times and the seasons of the Father in truth. He said, reigning over, and He's talking about money. Boy, that's not two things that it gets you killed by slander and people talking about you and people being mad at you. And getting upset, talking about the lordship of Jesus over our life and talking about it also in the area of money. And yet Jesus does it. What about the parable of the wicked vine dressers? He tells a story that a man gets a vineyard and he he has people begin to take care of the vineyard. And then a season comes at harvest time. Remember the times of the Father? And he sends his servants in the season of of harvest to get fruit. And it says that the people who were to be overseeing and being involved in the vineyard and taking care of the vineyard, they rejected the servants. They despised the servants. They killed some of the servants. So lastly, he said, you know what? I'll send my son. And the son comes and, and the people that was supposed to be taking care of the vineyard. They see the son. They said, it's the heir. If we'll kill him, then we can keep it all for ourselves." And then Jesus asked this question. He says, therefore, what will the owner of that vineyard do to them? To them who rejected not just the servants, but ultimately the son. What will the owner of that vineyard do to them? And he said, he will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. For they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Jesus tells this parable amongst a bunch of the religious leaders of his day. And Jesus is picturing the religious leaders of the day as ones who say, certainly not. There can't be judgment. Luke, after he records Jesus teaching these parables in Luke 19, 11, he, he makes note that we're clear that it was because Jesus was near Jerusalem and because people thought that the kingdom of God would appear immediately that he told these parables. So we see Jesus unfolds the nature of God and we find that the primary nature of God is peace. And yet we can't go to the error of not understanding that even though God's nature and His primary disposition towards you is peace, that if you reject and resist His offer of peace, that there's no judgment, that there's no consequence. 
This leads us to then what Jesus and what's recorded next right after this in Luke 19.41. The things that make for your peace. In Luke 19.41 it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city Jerusalem and he wept over it. Why did he weep over it? Because the primary disposition and nature of God is peace. Your peace, my peace. The city of Jerusalem's peace. The nation of Israel's peace in this day. And yet we find that they rejected the peace. And things didn't continue on well. And because the nature and the disposition of God was for the peace, but they rejected it, Jesus weeps. And He's weeping for people today. He's weeping for families today. He's weeping for nations today. Because here's what He said then. If you had known... Even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Notice Jesus talks about the things that make for your peace. Jesus, as the nature, is the one who unfolds the nature of God who begins to help us interpret correctly the Old Testament sayings of God. He shows that as the Prince of Peace that the primary disposition and nature of God is for peace. But they didn't know and receive the things that make for their experience of that peace. The Greek word peace there is used in several ways. It's used to speak of the state of national tranquility. Meaning peace was used, this Greek word, as an exemption from the rage and havoc of war. It was also used to represent the peace between individuals, harmony. And it was used, this might surprise some of you, it was used to describe safety, security, and prosperity. Why? Because, listen, peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. When a nation has peace and safety and the benefits of that, then people are not inclined to fight and to steal and to rob as much as when there's war and when there's not peace and harmony. But then, of course, this peace is used regarding having peace of heart. Peace with God, your Creator, through the Messiah, the Messiah's peace meaning salvation's peace and the blessed state of upright persons, righteous persons after death. So listen, this peace he speaks of regards nationally, governmentally, regarding society, relationally and personally. This peace applies to all those areas. And Jesus speaks of the things that make for your peace, the things that make for your peace of heart, the things that make for your peace of home, the thing that make for peace in your marriage, the things that make for your peace in your relationships, the things that make for your peace nationally and as a society. But all of those things that make for peace in those areas start with a right receiving of the Prince of Peace. Hearts accepting God's Prince of Peace, the promise, the foretold, coming Prince of Peace, Messiah. Scores of prophecies. 
that proves beyond the shadow of a doubt the reliability of Scripture and Jesus being who He said He is. Not to mention what we just celebrated, the fact of the resurrection that absolutely removes all skepticism and doubt to the reality of Jesus being the chosen anointed Messiah, the one and only one to reconcile you and I and give us peace with our Creator to make things right. It starts with first being at peace with God through a right receiving of the person of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, who is sent. See, listen to me. The kingdom of God, the rule of God, through the Prince of Peace, this Messiah Jesus, it comes first without observation. It comes like a seed, a seed that's planted in the ground, that it's there, but you can't see it first with observation. And the reason it first comes without observation, it comes like a seed, is because it now, the kingdom of God, the government of God, remember that's attached to the peace of God, it comes now first in the hearts of men and women. That's why dwelling place, that's why we're named dwelling place. That God no longer dwells in buildings made by men's hands, but He dwells in His people. That the kingdom of God and the rule of God and the, and the nature and the disp- disposition of God first comes inside of those that have been reconciled back to their Creator through Jesus Christ. It comes on the inside of His people that we have become the New Testament temple and dwelling place of God. And from that place first, the peace of God and the governing of God is to continue to increase and it's to continue to expand just like Isaiah prophesied and declared the Prince of Peace and His government and His peace would continue to expand more and more. First from the inside to the outside. Now listen to me. Governments were created by God and for God for the service of God in His purpose. To serve as the instrument of God in establishing and protecting physical contexts called nations or cities where lives, people's lives, our lives can prosper and the gospel of the Prince of Peace could more readily be shared to more people. Listen to me. It's very hard to share on a large scale, person to person, how the gospel travels in times of war. In times of nations being at war and chaos. This is why you find in some places today it's so hard to get the gospel to individuals because they're in a war-torn nation which makes it very difficult for the people who are carrying the nature of God and the Prince of Peace inside them to get to those people to share relationally the kingdom of God and the peace of God through Jesus. Laws also are for the purpose of being established by governments to serve this purpose also of providing safety and security. Laws are to serve God and His purpose in this way to seek peace between individuals. That's why there's laws against stealing or copyright issues, things like that. Laws are set to be created to seek peace between neighbors. That's why there's laws about property boundaries, things like that, homes and communities. Because remember, listen to me, the very definition of that Greek word peace and how it's used is that peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. But listen to me, here's the key. 
Listen, all for the ultimate purpose of seeing the rule of God through the Prince of Peace, Jesus, rule in the hearts of His creation. Men and women, you and I, on the earth today. All of this government and the laws of government is for the purpose of individuals being reconciled and restored to a right relationship with God through their Creator. And when that purpose is rejected, forgotten, overlooked, listen to me, then the peace in the nation, the peace amongst neighbors, the peace of comfort, the peace of society, the peace and harmony that makes things safe and prosperous becomes a false peace. That when it's only outward peace to the neglect of outward peace serving the main purpose of why God allows or created government and laws to create and help create outward peace. For the inner peace of being in right relationship with our Creator through Jesus, the inner peace coming, then watch this, the outward peace becomes a false peace. You remember Jerusalem? You remember when Jesus, when He wept over Jerusalem? Remember when He said to Jerusalem, the things that make, I wish you knew the things that make for your peace? And at that time, there was national harmony, and that's why they feared Jesus so much, because they feared that the national sense of peace and prosperity would be disturbed, and their, their relationship with Rome and, and all of that, and the governors and things would be disturbed, and that sense of peace and prosperity would be removed. And Jerusalem rejected the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And ultimately, the things that Jesus said, destruction and, and that took place because in 70 AD, the city was destroyed. You say, what does this have to do with us who live today? Listen, Paul the Apostle says to the church of Jesus Christ in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11, through he says, when the world and the nations of the world say peace and safety be upon you, to each other, when they say that to each other, he says, then sudden disaster comes. Meaning false peace or peace, outward peace, becomes a false peace when the outward peace of having comfort and earthly prosperity leads to an illusion of control in our lives and gives individuals a false sense of peace that blinds them from the ultimate reality of eternity and their need for a Savior. That when the outward peace of prosperity and comfort and safety and national peace and governmentally peace and societal peace and relational peace and peace with neighbors, when that peace, outward peace, blinds us from the reality of how it's to be used to serve the ultimate goal, which is people being reconciled to their Creator, that where Satan and sin and deception has deceived people and they begin and continue to stay in loving darkness, keeps us from seeking reconciliation for them with their Creator, then listen, that peace will be shaken. It will be shaken. Because you can have outward peace that was all created to serve people finding the inner peace, reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. But the outward peace becomes a false peace because when it doesn't serve the ultimate goal of why it exists. Because Romans 3, 9 through 18 says, there is no peace for the wicked, for those that are not right in right standing with God. What do you mean no peace? Peace 
also refers to prosperity, to national peace and comfort. What do you mean no peace? That peace there means no peace of heart. No peace of God. The peace that can only come from God through Jesus Christ. So when the things that make for peace are not leveraged to make hearts at peace with God, they will be shaken. And I think about the coronavirus, and I think about how the nation I'm in in America, how there was such a national prosperity, and thank God we were free from inner war, not a land of conflict. And and yet all of those things have existed in America so that we, the body of Christ, would relationally use that to mobilize the Prince of Peace in us and through us to reach others for the ultimate goal of them being reconciled with their Creator. Through Jesus, for there's no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. If there was another way for people to be right, if other religions were right, which they're not, then God would not have allowed Jesus to be crucified and died and rose victorious. The declaration of God has been forever justified and vindicated through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Islam removes the truth from the Quran that Jesus actually died and was crucified. It's Antichrist because it removes the reality of the need of the Savior Jesus to take the death that you and I deserved as we chose our own way. The things that make for peace. I think about a story, David and Nabal. Nabal in the Old Testament. It's a very interesting story. In 1 Samuel 25 and 4 it says, When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal. And greet him in my name. Now when you go read the backstory, David and his men had been protecting uh, Nabal's men and servants. That everywhere they went, they protected Nabal and his assets and they always did him well. But they had never met Nabal yet. And David had a request in this time, so he sends ten of his servants to Nabal and here's what he says. He says, I want you to go greet him in my name and thus you shall say to him, to him who lives in prosperity. Watch this. Peace be to you. Peace to your house and peace to all that you have. David at this time was already anointed to be king though he wasn't king yet. He's living in the wilderness. He's moving from place to place but he's already anointed to be king. He's a type of Christ in this sense. And then there's Nabal who lives in prosperity. And David sends messengers to Nabal and he says, Look, I greet you and may there be peace to you. Peace to your house and peace to all that you have. But unfortunately, like Jerusalem, Nabal was like Jerusalem, and they rejected and reviled the things that make for such peace. See, he had an outward peace of prosperity. He had an outward peace to all that he had, but he didn't allow the outward peace to serve the ultimate goal of why there was outward peace, which was that he would have a right heart and be at peace of heart with his creator. In fact, do you know what Nabal means? It means in Hebrew, full. And Nabal represents a type of like the book of Proverbs talks about. It talks about the wise people and the foolish people. Nabal is like a type like Proverbs when it talks about the foolish people who reject the way of God. The way of God. The way for his peace. 
And Nabal reviles David and says, I haven't heard of David. I don't know who David is. Does, does David have a big church? Does David? And he reviles David even though he's anointed to be king. And David gets so mad that he begins to be tempted to go vindicate himself, to take matters in his own hand and to go deal with that scoundrel called Nabal, the one who's rejecting the disp- disposition and the, the really nature of God that you see initially shown through David of peace to you, peace to your house, and peace to all the things of your house. But there is a woman, there's Nabal's wife named Abigail. And the prosperity she had from Nabal, her husband, and his business and all that, she allowed that outward prosperity to lead to the real goal of the outward prosperity, inner peace. And she had a walk with God, and she goes and she acts as a mediator between David and Nabal. She goes and meets David and and she mediates the situation and she keeps David from avenging himself with his own hand so that the matter and Nabal would be left in God's hand. Ten days later, because David didn't take things in his own hand but left it in God's hand and for the natural course, ten days later, Scripture says Nabal was struck and he died. Now here's what's interesting. Watch this. Notice Nabal's own home was divided. Abigail was seeking to reconcile and make sure peace stayed with David, and yet Nabal was not at peace and would not receive peace from David. And that represents a type of Jesus. A type of Jesus. We'll talk about this, which leads us to this question. Does the Prince of Peace bring division? Does the Prince of Peace notice David, who had been anointed a king, who represents a type at times of Jesus, who in the flesh was a descendant of this David, that David caused there to be division in Nabal's house? Nabal and Abigail weren't in the same accord regarding how they should respond to David. So does the Prince of Peace, Jesus, does He bring division? Well, look what Jesus says in Luke 12 and 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? He means in this age, in the time that you and I live, in the days that He walked on earth. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth in this age? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. From from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Now this is interesting. You remember David, how he was tempted to take matters into his own hand and through his own hands go and deal with Nabal? Listen to me. And Abigail withheld him, mediated. Listen to this. The spirit of followers of Jesus in this season and in this age are not to take vengeance in our own hands. In the days that you and I live in, we are not to take vengeance in our own hands. We are not to execute judgment on the wicked, on the foolish, on the nabals, on those that resist or reject God's nature or disposition of peace. We're not to deal with that and take matters into our own hands. You remember when when, uh, Jesus had to rebuke those closest to Him, His disciples, He rebuked? James and John, and they wanted to act like Elijah and the spirit of a previous time and season of the Father and call down fire on a village that rejected the Prince of Peace. 
Jesus, and Jesus said to them, Hey, you don't know what spirit you are of in this season and time and age of the Father. Jesus said, you, you don't understand the kingdom that I'm starting. You don't know and understand yet the spirit you are of as my follower. Meaning we don't take it into our hands. We don't call down judgment and seek judgment through us towards unbelievers or those that resist the Prince of Peace. Listen to me. We as the body of Christ, I'm speaking to brothers and sisters right now, we're to stand in the gap like Abigail did between David and Nabal. We're to stand in the gap as peacemakers. That's why Jesus said, those that follow me and understand the culture of my kingdom, they'll be peacemakers. They'll seek to try to make peace. Now I want to say there's some Nabals. Some people like Nabal who've allowed earthly prosperity and the national peace in America we've had to become a false peace of comfort and has distracted them from the wickedness of their heart, has distracted them from the practices that they've been employing in the businesses of America, of always desiring more prosperity, even in unjust ways to the neglect and the value of the laborers and those under their lead that have prosperity and money but still say it's not enough and continue to overwork and not honor the reality of God's rest because rest reminds us that there are some things that God can only do and that we can't even really be achieve and successful with our own hands without the ability of God's hand upon us giving us breath and ability and talents and education. The greed of always desiring more, though we're the most prosperous nation. And to the Nabals and people, we don't seek to bring you with our hands into judgment, but we leave you in God's hands. And all we do is we declare the message of peace to you. And we say that in the shaking of what's going on with the coronavirus, that you would hear that God has allowed the outward peace to be shaken to get you back to the reality of why those things exist is to serve and ensure that ultimately you have the most important peace, an inward peace of righteousness, a right standing with God your Creator through Jesus, and you learn to practice that righteousness ethically and in your dealings and in your business and in your relationships. And may you in this time allow the shaking to get you back to the reality. May eternity be awakened in your heart. May you see God seeking to woo you through the Prince of Peace. But let me speak to my brothers and sisters, the body of Christ in this age. Listen, you know what Scripture says? In this age, we, we don't seek to in our own hands avenge and judge unbelievers and those that are rejecting God's message of peace through the person of the Prince of Peace, Jesus. But listen, Scripture says to us, judgment starts with the people of God and the house of God. All judgment for unbelievers is outside of our spirit and outside of our calling in this age that you and I find in self. But we are to exhort and to judge and challenge brother to brother, sister to sister, each other as the body of Christ. And I say all of that to say that for some of us, the outward peace being shaken has revealed to us where we're lacking, even as people of God, the rule 
of Jesus and the governing of Jesus over areas of our life that increases the peace of Jesus inwardly in our life, that we've also been resisting it. And we find that our response and our experience emotionally and in so many ways is just like the unbeliever who doesn't know the peace from God or with God through Jesus. And judgment starts with us. That in this season we would begin to acknowledge the gaps and understand that God wants to give us a clearer portrait of Christ in areas of our life uh, that we'd see how allowing Him to govern our finances and govern our work habits and govern us and what we do and how we do it and the way we do His work to allow Him to govern it so more of His peace would be multiplied in our life. You say, how does all this tie to the New Testament? Big time, because this whole theme is carried on through the New Testament and the apostles. And that's why let's talk now about the things that make for our peace. Brothers and sisters, the things that make for our peace, Paul in Romans 14 and 19 said, Therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which one may edify another. The things that make for our peace. And I found that if judgment starts with the people of God, then there's areas right now that God's trying to bring us back to the things that make for us experiencing more of the peace, of the Prince of Peace, Jesus our King, experientially in our life. The first is believing. Believing is a verb. It's an action word in Scripture. And in Romans 15, 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you, fill you with all peace in believing. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Chad, I believe Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Yeah, but listen, believing entails more than just that He's Lord. It means believing in His government and reign in all areas of our life. That our life is not disintegrated. That it's not like Sunday is the day we focus on Jesus and then we go about our life. That all of our life lives under His Lordship. And that we can believe Jesus as the way for every area of life. That we can have Jesus govern every area of our life. And it will allow us to experience more and more and more of His peace. Peace in believing. That is peace would increase more. Some of you, you might know that you're in right standing with God and yet there's still anxieties in your heart. Let God speak to that. Let the Holy Spirit begin to challenge and create believing and faith of how Jesus wants to govern that area of your life that's creating anxiety and cares and worries so you'll experience more of His peace. Secondly, rejoicing and gratefulness. The things that make for our peace. Believing, rejoicing and gratefulness. In Philippians 4 and verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Pastor Chad, does that mean during the coronavirus? Does that mean when it, we go through tribulations and difficulties? Here's what he says, Paul. Again, I will say, they must have been going through some tribulation difficulties and Paul said, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. They start saying, well, what about we're going through this? What about that? He says, hey, again, I'll say rejoice. And let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and so okay. Rejoicing in gratefulness. The things that making for peace is rejoicing and being grateful for what we already have. How often do we allow greed and the drive for more, whether it's in church ministry, whether it's in our own business, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our finances, whether it's in our relationships, that the desire for more blinds us or keeps us or distracts us from being grateful and rejoicing in the great things we already have. The great things we already have. He continues on in Philippians 4, and it leads to the next thing that makes for peace, prayer. 
He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Notice how thanksgiving helps generate you into a posture of prayer. Fill your prayer with thanksgiving. Why? The reason I go into prayer so often is because I'm dealing with anxiety. And the way you begin to attack anxiety so that you can get the things that make for peace is start rejoicing and being grateful for how you've seen the Lord be faithful in the past, how you've seen the Lord provide, how you've seen the Lord move and work in your life. And that begins to, out of that gratefulness and that thankfulness, it begins to generate you into a posture to let the Holy Spirit convince you that we can believe and trust Jesus in this area, in this day, in this time, and we can experience more of the government of the Prince of Peace and the more of His peace experientially in our lives. Prayer. Prayer. That's why Paul in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1 through 6, he says, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Today that would mean for presidents, for governors, for mayors, for those that work in the government, that we, the body of Christ, may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. This is an amazing thing. That it says that our ability to lead or experience an outward peaceable life of safety and security, prosperity, the ability to work, is dependent upon presidents, kings, and those in authorities. That their inability to make right laws and right decisions affects even believers' outward peace. Now the goal is for us to grow where it doesn't affect our inner peace, but it does affect our outward peace. Can't go to work, have to work for home. Who's going to take care of the kids while I work? They can't go to school, they're having to homeschool, all of those things. And that's why prayer, the things that make for is praying for those in authority. Prayer for those in authority. I thank God for those that pray for President Obama just as much as they pray for President Trump today. Because this isn't a political whether what side you are. It's a biblical thing that we're to pray for our leaders. And praying for them directly affects you and I, our outward peace, our communities, our society, our relational neighborhoods, our government. And then he says it leads to the next thing that makes for peace, being spiritually minded. And that's why in Philippians 4, after he said, Rejoice always, and then in everything, prayer. Verse 7, In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Watch this. And the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You see it all in that verse. That passes. Now he speaks, he refers Paul to being spiritually minded, thinking upon the right things, the things that are lovely, the things that are good, a good report, worthy of praise. This, the things that make for peace is being spiritually minded. I find personally that when I get fleshly carnal minded, when I think about my own pursuits, my own fleshly lust, my own selfishness, that I lose the experience of the governing peace of my King Jesus. And that's why Paul in Romans 8, 6 says that that to be spiritually minded is to experience Jesus' life in peace. To be spiritually minded, to think about the main purposes and the priorities of you and I as the body of Christ, to think about the things that Jesus are concerned with, to think about Jesus' purpose, the things that make for peace. And then lastly, 
what I'm calling these do. In Galatians 6 and 16, Paul says, listen, it's no longer about outward distinctions. It's not about what denomination you belong to. It's not about whether you're Jew or Gentile. It's not about whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It's not about whether you, how you dress or how you don't dress at your church. As believers, he says, the things that matter, the things that matter is being a new creation. A new creation. Having this new nature, this nature of peace, of God revealed in Christ. He says this in Galatians 6.16, that if you walk according to this new rule, the rule of the new creation, the rule of the new nature. If you walk according to that, he says, may the peace of God be upon those that walk and do these things. What that means is, the more we walk according to how God made us in Christ, the more you and I walk according to this nature of God, this nature of peace, and the more we walk outwardly, who God made us inwardly through the new birth, through Jesus, the more the peace of God is upon us. It's upon our hands. It's upon our work. It's upon our homes. It's upon our relationships. It's upon our, our mouth and our communication with one another. It's upon our pursuits. It's upon our experience. It's amazing. In Acts 9.31, it said the early church, that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What a balanced thing. Normally we want comfort, no fear. But it's in the reverence of God's goodness and in the comfort of His Holy Spirit. And then it says, because they had the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit, that they had peace and were edified. The things that make for peace is keeping the right reverence and framework and mentality of our relationship with God. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit that where we fall short and where we have gaps where we need His grace, the Holy Spirit will help us believe in Jesus and His promises to fill those gaps and to change, to bring transformation. In James 3.18, it says that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Listen to me, the things that make peace is us not just working for God, not just understanding that our careers and things, we do it for God, but listen, it's also the way we work. I can't tell you the number of brothers and sisters, pastors and leaders, other churches, that yes, they do the work, work for God. Want to do exploits for God. But the issue is, what's the way we do the work? It's not to be done out of anxiety and it's not to be done out of the methods of the world. It's to be done with the peace of the governing of Jesus Christ. Doing what only the Father tells us or Jesus tells us to do and saying what only Jesus tells us to say just like He did in His ministry. There's got to be the peace of the Prince of Peace upon our work for it to have the impact that God desires. And this is an opportunity for this to happen. Then when we go back to work, we don't just go back to work knowing we do it to honor God and for the glory of God, but we also do it in the way of God with His peace. With His peace upon it. Because Hebrews 12 says it's the love of God that disciplines us, that trains us in this role of righteousness. And in the end, if we're trained by it, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I don't want to just work for God. I want to work in the way of God that has His peace. His governing upon what I do. The manifestation of His kingdom. 
I want to tell you when I'm praying for you, brothers and sisters, I'm praying what David prayed. When David said, peace to you, peace to your house, peace to all that you have. Remember the Prince of Peace, our King Jesus, that the increase of Him governing our life, governing our mind, governing our will, governing our emotions, governing our relationships, governing our parenting, governing our finances, governing our career, the more His governing increases, the more His peace increases. Listen to me. The more He governs you and me, the more His peace multiplies. And that's why Peter said, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, the true knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul the Apostle said, may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always in every way. In every way. In my heart, in my home, in the things of my home, in the dealings of my home, may He give me peace in every way. And I'm praying and I'm believing for you, dwelling place. I'm believing for you, brothers and sisters, that you'll allow the Lord Himself to give you peace in your heart, in your home, and in the things that you have in your home. This is what Jesus said as well. In John 14, 27, He says, Peace I leave to you. He said it to His disciples. John 16, He said, You'll have tribulation. And you know what we need in tribulation? He says, My peace. And I give you my peace, not as the world gives. You say, what about peace to my house, Pastor Chad? Well, Jesus, when He sent people out in Luke 10, 5 and 6, He says, whatever house you enter, say to that house, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. If you're a son and daughter of peace, the governing peace of Jesus wants to rest on your house. In times like this, I find revealed when I'm with my family nonstop, I find areas where He's not governing. He's not governing me how I talk to my kids or how I spend time with them and how that can lead to not peace on my home. But it's in this that in every way the Lord can teach us how to govern us and for peace to not just be in our heart, but in our home, but then also the things that you have. Jesus tells the story in Luke 11. He says, when a strong man is fully armed and he guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Did you know the peace of God can come upon the goods of your home? When God led Israel out of Exodus and he, they spent 40 years in the wilderness, listen, there was no gap. There was no Old Navy. There was no department stores. There was no shoe stores. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 50, I led you 40 years and your clothes have not worn out. Your sandals have not worn out. What's it saying? He's saying peace upon the things in your home. I'm believing for you, brother and sister, in times like this, that there would be a marked difference between God's people. Peace to your heart, peace to your home, and peace on the things of your home. That lawnmowers will last longer than other lawnmowers. That our... Uh, carburetors and our vehicles and our tires and our vehicles will last longer than others. That God's peace would be in our heart, in our house, and in our things of our house. For some of you, that means you need to remove some accursed things from your house. You know, in the book of Acts, they took all magic books, things of sorcery, and they burned it. There are things that if you put in your house will take the peace of God and hinder the peace of God being manifested in your house. Maybe you need to do a clean sweep. For the people of God that believe God holds our future, we're not to do horoscopes. We're not to look to the stars to find guidance. We look to the God who created the stars and created us. Maybe you need in this time say, Lord, what's hindering peace to me, peace to my house, and peace to the things of my house? Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to people. Prince of Peace, you don't take sides. You are the side. 
And Lord, when we align ourselves with you, we experience peace in the area we aligned you. When we choose to not align ourselves with you, there's not peace there. For many in the body of Christ, many brothers and sisters, it's time to be reconciled in your home. It's time to be reconciled with other brothers and sisters. Where the things that make for peace is walking according to the new creation. Stealing from brothers and sisters, slandering brothers and sisters, those things don't make for peace. Maybe it's a time to repent. Get the things out of your heart. Get the things out of your home. Let's let peace of Jesus, the reign of Jesus, be in our hearts, in our home, in the things of our home. Have your way, Lord, in every way. Prince of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.